1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. We talk to our kids how we talk to our kids. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm like their body man going up the street. Like, don't forget, you need your retainer. And don't forget, also, you need to have your your shin guards when you leave. With Margaret Aples and Amy Wilson. I love my screen so much. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to.
0: They know what you're up to, you know. At a certain point, and they get annoyed by the fact that you're trying to acknowledge their feelings. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is Margaret,
1: and this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about changing how we talk to our kids. And we have a guest this week that I am really excited about, Margaret. I am. You guys, if you're longtime
0: out. listeners of the podcast, you know that Amy's dream has come true. Hi. Amy's Mick Jagger is on the podcast <laughs> yes. this week. Amy's like pinnacle, top of the mountain. My,
1: uh, mine is Madonna, but Amy's is Wendy Mogul. Mine is Dr. Wendy Mogul. So she, everybody's heard of her book, The Blessing of a Skinned Knee. If you haven't, just get it and read it. She has another book called The Blessing of a B-minus, also amazing. And her latest book is called Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. It's just out in paperback. And we're going to talk to her later in this episode. She's She's amazing. It's like... I went to the mountain and saw the guru, guys. I'm back with some Yeah, ideas. Amy's back from the mountaintop, guys, and she's going to tell us what the guru had to say, but we're going to talk first
0: yes. and see if we're right about what the
1: guru what had to say we or not. What think. So, like, you and I usually like to talk about, at first, sort of, why is this a thing? Is this a thing we need to worry about? How we talk to our kids? We talk to our kids how we talk to our kids. Well, she would say that in 2019, talking to our kids has become even more complicated Okay. there's a couple reasons for that. I'm listening. One is the pace of our lives. We're always hurrying our kids to the next thing. Right. Bing, 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 get in the car, get in the car, always being 15 minutes late. And as she says in the interview, you'll hear one of the first questions she asks parents who are struggling with a kid. She'll say to them, what percentage of your communication with this kid is scolding, hurrying, you know, correcting, reprimanding? We, we talked about this. Yeah, we, we talked about this. She wrote an amazing article for The New York Times called, Should We Treat Our Little Boys Like We Treat Our Dogs? And that oh, was yes. Sort of, we remember? did talk about that article. We talked yes. about yes. it. And she says the same thing in the article. Like, do you talk to your little boys like your dogs or do you say, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And what, what I found this a little confusing when we talked about it at
0: first, but then this is the great example. When you get out of a car trip, the dog starts running around in circles like crazy and everyone's like, oh, my God, look at you. You're out of the car. Good job. <laughs> oh, you You're around. So excited to be out of the car. But if we got out of a car at like a gas station and our kid went like running in, we'd be like, you know better than to run in a gas station. How dare you? And so like that, that is really clear to me. Like, oh, right. Like seeing the exuberance and slight craziness of our boys as like, look at how fun and crazy you are versus like every single second screaming at them. I feel like this is coming at a timely time for me. I was just away with my kids for the weekend and it was a lot of haranguing and yelling at them. And, um, twice one of my sons was crying and was like, cause you're mad at me. And I'm like, Oh, I got to cut this out. I tend to be, I think we've established already on the podcast kind of over-authoritarian, possibly. You know, you and I are alike
1: in that way, I feel like.
0: Yeah, yeah, just very much like, which in some ways I lean into because I feel like I understand the like constantly yelling at our boys problem, but there is clearly a flip side, which is that a lot of moms I know are struggling with the thing of like, my boy is kind of rude to me and out of control and I am too much their friend.
1: And I'm always like, you got to come down on that kid like an army sergeant. She does say that, that the rules have changed. I mean, in the book, she makes the argument that the kids do talk back to their parents and say snarky things that wouldn't have rolled when we were kids. And sort of like, yeah, like, you're right. uh, The rules have changed a little bit. Um, Yeah, but I will say, like,
0: the rules have not changed that much in my house. Like, I am 100 percent insane on the topic of being spoken to politely in my house. Like, and I have a 10-year-old boy and an eight-year-old boy, and they both are getting... Snarky? I rolly and you're an idiot. And I know you told me that already. And I shut it down all the time. And I feel like right now I'm kind of locked in this thing where my only interaction with my kid is stop talking to me that way, stop talking to me that way. But at the same time, they
1: have to stop talking to me that way. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, this goes this goes both ways. Let's try to focus more on the the specs in our own eyes, if you know what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) yeah, like our kids are snarky to us and it drives us nuts. But we do as a human race use more snark and sarcasm and eye rolling in our communications with everybody. And if they're reflecting that, not that we're necessarily doing that to our kids, although we do sometimes, but that like the world does that all the time. And so we do have to sort of model a different form of communication. All right. Lay it on me. Lay it on me. Get your Amy. I'll get get to the other problems. One is like there's just the shorter attention span, the meandering conversations, like sitting with a cup of tea and talking about whatever is not something we do with anybody, let alone our kids. Like, for example, I, I try to walk my kids to school. They're getting old enough that they don't really need me to do that, even in New York City. But I really enjoy that time with my 11 year old and 14 and year old just walking the it's about a mile to school. And I just enjoy that time with them. However, I do use it as my sort of like, OK, don't forget. After school Wednesday, you're going to the orthodontist. You're going to need to leave history <laughs> right. ten minutes early, right? It's like my, I'm like, um, you know, on Veep, I'm like their body man going up the street. Like, don't forget you need your retainer, and don't forget also you need to have your your shin guards when you leave. And the, and and Dr. Mogul would say like that's a wasted opportunity that you're supposed to be ambling up the block and saying like, hey, how long has that building been under construction? It must be almost ready by now. Like, make room for meandering conversation in in your life. And that we don't do enough of that with anybody. Yes, agree. And then the last thing is, is uh, our devices that the greatest sort of obstacle to the art of listening in our family lives is our devices And, and not just our kids with their faces in the screen and not listening to us, but us with our faces in the screen and the kids not the kids feeling not listened to. Yeah, I mean, not being available to kids and it's a huge problem.
0: And I work at home. And so sometimes I'm on the screen working, but often I'm on the screen just scrolling Twitter or whatever nonsense I'm doing. And even if they're on their screen, they may walk over to me while I'm scrolling Twitter because they have a question about something. And I do find that interaction is really problematic, but it's just so hard to break that habit, which is. is just like... My downtime, this is something I'm actually working on right now, and I've, I've fallen out of it. It's so, I, I can't believe how difficult I'm finding it. My downtime is like, I'm like a baby with a rattle. I'm like, I have, to, my, I have to have my screen time. I have to get be able to relax and look at my screen. And it's like I've fallen into like every second of downtime. I'm just staring at it, and I'm not available to the kids in some very fundamental way.
1: Well, we're going to talk about that in an upcoming episode. Oh. <sighs> Because I think we're going to we're going to try some screen free stuff. Get ready. I don't know if I'm ready, but we're going to do it. I'm frightened.
0: I love my screen so much.
1: Well, okay. so we need to communicate more effectively with our kids. We should communicate more effectively with our kids and acknowledge where they're at. Not because they're like, you know, precious hothouse flowers who must always be put first in every interaction. But because like it'll lead to less fighting, less agita and happier kids and happier you in your house when the communication is I think
0: that's a really good point that like getting away from like the tweet tweet nature of like, we have to respect the voices of the children, which makes my head explode. But like Dr. Mogul's stuff is actually useful advice that will make your life easier. That's what's important.
1: Let me bring up another book that's been around for a while that should definitely be on your parenting shelf. It's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Do you hmm. have this oldie but goodie? I, mean, I I'm don't. saying it's an oldie. I think it's from 1990 or something. Okay, Amy, that's yes. old. Yeah. <laughs> that's almost 30 years ago. <laughs> Our listeners are like, I was almost born then. Right. Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish wrote it. So like two other women are like, they know. They know a few things. They suggest that, for example, your your little kid is having a tantrum in the grocery store. that you know, they want candy and you're like, you know, stop it, stop it right now while they're spiraling out of control. The kids continue, kids will ramp it up when they're feeling angry, frustrated, etc., when you're trying to shut it down and you're not acknowledging their feelings. And again, it's not about, oh, you poor baby, you don't you want to have candy and you can't. It's not it's not that that feeling is so precious and important. It must come first. It's just like they won't be able to stop their tantrum until they feel that you've gotten the message that they're trying to deliver and their distress will continue until you can say, like, I know, I know you wish you have candy. We can't have candy right now. And if you have to really figure out how to communicate with them in that moment and say, like, I hear what you're saying. The answer is no. And here's why. But start with I hear what you're saying or else you're going to have more screaming in the grocery store.
0: This is the kind of thing that I, I definitely find it a little kryptonitey, but I've actually started doing it. I mean, I often I, I have a kid who's just a bit of a sensitive soul and I get crazy with him. And yesterday we were at a restaurant And people were moving tables together and they slammed his finger in between the two tables as they were putting them together. And I was like, stop crying, get it together or I'm taking you out of here. There's my only reaction was like, do not cry or we're leaving because he tends to run towards the like, everything's a crisis. And I'm trying to tamp down on that. And then, of course, I realized like he'd split his fingernail and was like in agony. And I had basically just been like, I don't want to hear it. Be quiet. And. I forgot that rule, which I used to be better at when they were little, which is like, wow, that must really hurt. Should we go outside for a minute and relax? Like, or should we get it a band aid? Like, take it seriously at first, because I have a tendency to just clamp down with like my authoritarian monsterness and skip the part where it's like, and I've talked about this with my kid or any of my kids who deal with like bullying at school, that there's something about the little kids being like, someone called me a weirdo. I'm like, that's great to be a weirdo. Who cares? You know? And I forget that step, which is like, that must have really hurt your feelings. Right. That must have really stunk when that happened. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. I used to hate it when people called me mean names when I was little. Like I tend to just skip over that acknowledgement phase and go right to like
1: Suck it up, kid. Right. Or it's, it's OK. You'll see someday. Someday you're going to be the cool one. And like, you, you you can't you can't skip to that. You're skipping a step. And it doesn't really matter how old they are. I've seen it work with my teenagers when you stop and say, gosh, that. Yeah, that must be really hard to have two tests in one day. No wonder you're stressed. They're kind of like, well, right. yeah, like they they don't know what to say. They're, they're so confused by you acknowledging what they're what they're saying. But I do have a caveat there. You have to make sure when the kids are, well, I was going to say when they're older, but really starting when they're three, sort of the big mistake you can make in this moment. You want to acknowledge what they're feeling, but you don't want to put words in their mouth. Make sure you have it right. If they're throwing a tantrum in the grocery store because they can't have candy, you know why they're upset, right? But if you say somebody comes home and they're like, you know, oh, making up a name, like my friend Isabel, like she stinks. She thinks she's so great. And you say like, oh... You know, sometimes friend groups can change and they'll be like, that's not what I'm talking about, that they can really don't acknowledge their feeling. Don't step in and explain how they're feeling unless you're pretty sure you got it right. Because if you get it wrong, then then there's a whole new thing to be upset about. And it's you. Yeah. And that's probably
0: somewhat unavoidable. And and there's also times where you're going to be like. Gosh, I must really hurt. <laughs> like they, they know what you're up to, you know, at a certain point and they get annoyed by the fact that you're trying to acknowledge their feelings. I mean, there's no there's no 100 percent guarantee on this, but I think it's a it is a good practice. Like there's kind of a joke now that like people are like, oh, I feel so seen when you say like I eat potatoes just for dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that thing, that feeling when you can give it to kids of like, I feel seen, I feel like, you know, I have three pretty still young kids and like our house is often somewhat chaos. And like being able to like kneel down with one of my kids and say like, this seems hard. You must be struggling with it. Like making them feel seen is an important part that I, I tend to be a little bit like tweet, tweet, who cares?
1: Right. Right. That's why I keep coming back to like, "Mm, but it's better for you too. Right. It is. It's better. It's certainly better for them, but it is also better for you. And it leads to more harmonious communication, it starts. And you can keep the consequence in it. You
0: can keep the consequence of like, I can tell you're really upset about this candy, but we're having dinner in an hour and you know our rule. And I can tell you're so frustrated, but if you can't calm down, we're leaving the store right now. You know, you don't have, it doesn't have to just be like, instead of, you know, taking my kid out of this situation, the consequence can still
1: be in it. Right, this isn't about consequence free. This is this Right, is this about- isn't about letting your kid have a
0: tantrum in target for 3 hours while you acknowledge their feelings.
1: No, it's more about like let them finish a sentence. Don't finish their sentences for them. Let them lead, leave room for talking about you know where the white dandelions go when you blow them and they scatter to the wind and you know like leave room for your child's curiosity. And try to enhance it because the world is out to shorten and shorten and shorten the parameters of that. And we're here to help them, you know, grow up a little more slowly, I think. Agree. Aw. Yeah. A little more slowly. All right. So when we come back, you're going to hear our interview with Dr. Wendy Mogul. Her new book, Voice Lessons for Parents, is just out in paperback. Guys, she's amazing. while Our guest today, Dr. Wendy Mogul, is a social clinical psychologist and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Blessing of a Skinned Knee and The Blessing of a B-. Her mission is the protection and promotion of self-reliance, resilience, accountability, and exuberance in children. And her latest book, just out in paperback, is Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. Dr. Mogul, thanks for being with us. I'm delighted. We quote you very often on this podcast, Um, all of your books, but also your essay, your recent essay, Should We Speak to Little Boys as We Do Little Dogs from Mm -hmm. the (laughs) New York Times? And I'm thrilled to get the chance to talk to you because I have found your writing to really change how I parent in really profound ways. So I want to talk, before we even get to the book, I want to ask you a little bit about the idea in your writing that's really profoundly influenced how I parent. And it's about the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara. Am I saying those the right way? Pretty
2: close, yeah. (laughs) Well, good enough.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about about that idea and, and how that can change how we look at our children?
2: We have the wish at this point in our culture For our children to go from darling little buddy to junior statesman and skip adolescence or all the messy bits in between, and in some ways it's stealing their childhood from them because it is children's job. And this is the Yetzirah. So the rabbi said that the evil inclination is the source of all creativity, all imagination. Without it, there would be no buildings built, no marriages, and no innovation. But we are so nervous about children walking a very very narrow path that includes excellent grades playing on it playing a team sport being popular for the girls being as slender popular and nice as girls ever were expected to be despite all the progress of feminism and for the boys to be kind of just like girls so we have become afraid of and afraid for our children, in particular of them behaving like children.
1: Uh, it totally makes sense. And so you you talk about sort of reframing your child's sort of inside the child's worst traits or the most challenging traits are also the, the seeds of what's special about them. Is that is that right?
2: Absolutely. And parents and these what I'm talking about are good intentioned, loving, devoted, intelligent parents, and we've all gotten so nervous that when a child does something that is not and I say this to parents all the time to kind of arouse them into a consciousness raising we've become transcript pimps, uh-huh instead of seeing who this little person is. So the reason I wrote that article for The Times is because I listen to parents talking to their little boys. And I say to them, tell me what percentage of the time you are nagging him, reminding him, hurrying him, making suggestions to improve him, or being bored with his obsessions. (laughs) And then I listen to... Everybody talked to their dogs and to their dogs, they're saying, oh, little sweetie, look how precious you are. And they just adore the dog. And I want them to adore the boy. Yeah. In all his ragged, obsessed, passionate enthusiasm about how many different kinds of sharks there are and how many more dogs bite and kill people per year than sharks do.
1: (laughs) So if you're a parent like me, we hear a lot of truth in that question about how much of our time do we spend criticizing, nagging, pushing, all that sort of thing. And your book sort of gives us a new way, it reframes how we can talk to our children. But you say that changing how we speak actually matters more than changing what we're saying?
2: Yes, and I found that in my practice, I've been in practice for 35 years, and I found that I noticed that the way parents were talking to their kids And I just studied both their pitch, their body language. And yesterday, in a session, we just talked about pointing fingers at kids, wagging your finger, and how it's actually a message, an unintended message that is pushing your child away from you. Mm. If you're pointing your finger and wagging it, You're making a space between you and your child Mm. besides the implicit criticism. And I keep saying this, but it's important to put this in the context of these are good parents. These are good parents doing their best. And what happens to their voices is not conscious. So I'll stop them and I'll say what we do in the sessions is we reenact the explosive moment that went on at home or the frustrating moment or the moment where the child started to cry. And I'll say to the parent, tell me what time of day it was, where you were, when you had last eaten, how many activities your child had done that day. And then we reenact this scenario and I say to them, your voice just went up. Your pitch just went up. Let's try it again with a lower pitch. Or your shoulders went up to your ears. Or you started pointing your finger. And it does a couple of things, these sort of acting lessons that we do. It sends a message to the children. It sends a couple of messages, depending on the child, the age of the child and the child's temperament, that they're kind of bad and hopeless. Or that the parent is desperate, and this particular tiny little ordinary everyday situation is very big and very important, and they switch roles. So the child feels like they have tremendous power, power to destroy the world by procrastinating about their homework and playing Fortnite, or that their parent cannot tolerate frustration or cannot, in the largest sense, tolerate them. Wow. So it's a really powerful message carried simply in pitch or in finger wagging. And again, nobody talks to their dogs that way, although the heartbreaking thing I've been noticing lately, watching people, because I'm always just spying every single second, And I watch people walking their dogs, and they're not talking to their dogs anymore. (laughs) They're looking at their phones as they walk their dogs. And it used to be that one of the reasons you had a dog is because the dog introduced you to the glory of the smells in the world. All sorts of smells, yucky smells and gorgeous smells, because the dog is a smell detector. But now parents are, or adults are looking at their phones instead of what is causing their dog to be thrilled and delighted to be alive and to be an animal.
1: And of course, as you you talk about in the book about technoference and the digital devices are also negatively impacting our ability to listen to our kids. I think we all, as parents, we can all we all know the times when the kids aren't listening to us because the screen is in front of them, but but it goes the other way as well.
2: So Common Sense Media did the first large-scale study uh, together with Northwestern University researchers on parents' media use, and they found that parents were looking at screens eight hours a day separate from work. Wow. So there are two phrases. One is technoference, and the other, it was coined by the tech theorist Linda Stone, and she calls it continuous partial attention. And the kids tell me, because I talk to, the, to teenagers a lot about this, and they say to me that they feel the greatest sibling rivalry, not with their siblings, but with their parents' phones, their parents' yeah. screens and devices. It is also having a large impact on marriages because if you have your device in the bedroom, if you have your cell phone in your hand in the bed, it feels like an affair to your partner or spouse because they can't see precisely what you're looking at. So maybe it's important. It's work. Maybe it's just getting that news feed that makes everybody so agitated uh, maybe you're just surfing the web, but the parents aren't talking to each other. Yeah. And I want them to talk to each other when they wake up in the morning. I want them to talk to each other at night. And I, I say to parents and I'm, I emphasize this in the book and I emphasize it in all of my lectures that it's to not have your smartphone in the bedroom, even though the iPhone alarm clock is the best alarm clock that's ever been invented in the history of the world, and how can you resist it? Once you figure out that AM-PM thing with your thumb and get it right, (laughs) you have the most magnificent, adorable sound to wake you up, and it's totally reliable. However, the minute you look at that screen, the entire planet and all its exaggerated, sensationalized, alluring news can flood in through the walls of your bedroom before you gaze upon the face Of your child, who is today four years, three months, and two days old, and never will be again. So you have missed a magical moment.
1: That's an aha moment for me, Dr. Mogul. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) It is an aha moment for me to hear Ah. that. I mean, I talk about, oh, I really shouldn't have my my phone in my bedroom. I keep my kids' phones out of their bedroom, but... You know, half the time I'm taking my phone to to bed with me, but I'm going to uh, reconsider that for for me and for my spouse.
2: Amy, everybody is. So it's it's important not to beat yourself up about it. We've all been, there's this great science fiction term for when the human body is taken over. (laughs)
1: <laughs> like a uh, pod wait, person? W- w- say it again? Like a pod person? Yeah, like and a- that, that's perfect, right? <laughs> An iPod person. <laughs> right, exactly.
2: <laughs> Double pod people.
1: <laughs> when you, you talk in the book about full frontal listening with young children, can you talk a little bit about that technique? Yeah. So it's hard to get their attention in part
2: because they move around a lot more than we do. And they're excited about more things than we are. And often those things are not the absurd amount of homework most of them have these days. To capture their attention, if you can consider these two principles to be captivatable and to be enchanted with their enchantment, and it's different with young boys and girls. So the girls still want to be princesses. And they love those sequins, clothes with the sequins that change color when you run your hand over it. Yep. And the little ones want to wear pink and purple. And the mothers are despairing because they say, I wanted to raise a feminist and I wanted to raise a girl who would be president. And look at what she's adoring. And I say to the parents in my practice all the time, I guarantee you this will go away. There will be a period where she will only want to wear olive green and gray. (laughs) She's going to go through whatever the version is of her goth period at the moment in history when she's that age. And this is not something to worry about, but actually something to celebrate because she's so enthusiastic. So the full frontal part is not necessarily staring them right in the face. Boys, young boys, are often just too excited to move around. And they've been sitting in school school so much of the day that to get them to sit and have a big heart-to-heart, (laughs) face-to-face talk with you about all of their character flaws and how it's going to totally destroy their future, and they better get on board pretty fast, is not going to be effective. So the full frontal part is, it stands for your complete attention.
1: My middle schooler will sometimes accuse me. He'll he'll start to tell me something that I know is important to him. Or I can I can tell and I think, okay, I have to give this my full attention. And once in a while he'll look at me and he'll say, You're doing your pretending to listen face. Like you're doing oh, that thing. So you're great. making that face. And I and I'm really am not intending to, nor am I sort of like, oh, here goes, but I have to pretend. I mean, I'm not perceiving the moment that way. I'm just sort of perceiving, oh, this is important. I'm really going to give him my full attention. And he immediately you know, accuses me of only pretending to care. Is that something you hear? How old is he? He's 14. He's been doing it since he was about mm, 11 or 12, probably. Yeah. And that's when it starts Mm -hmm. at 11 or
2: 12. So all the kids are entering puberty younger. The boys later than the girls. Mm -hmm. But around that age, especially middle school, seventh grade, they're beginning to want to separate from their parents and attach to their peers. At the same time, they really, really love their mommy. Yeah. And they want you to listen. And they are sages at picking up both what you are hoping to get across and what's going on in the background in your mind. So I think the pretending to listen face is is really profound.
1: And you talk in the book right about trying to become a little more neutral in our in our affect because they can read things into it. I mean, what would you what would you recommend that I say in those moments to say, "No, no, I really am interested in what you have to say, or do i do I laugh it off? What do you think is the right response?
2: I, I think that he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So if you say no, no, I'm really interested in what you have to say. Then you're telling him that his subtle observation of human interaction is a little bit off base. And it's reminding me of a girl who said to her, she used to use this phrase with her mother. She's now an adult. But she said, oh, that's your disgust face. Mm. So even without any words, they're picking up on what's going on. With you, whether you're preoccupied or disapproving. And what you can always say is, without sounding too shrink like or too formal, is, let me think about that. That's real, that's interesting what you're saying. And it may be absolutely accurate. Uh So I need to think a little bit about why. I seem to be pretending to listen right now, and then I want you to tell me what you were telling me again. I see. We want to respond so fast to everything, and it's not modeling for the children the idea of reflecting that you need some time to think on it. Or you need to figure out what's going on. And this is a great thing to teach them so that when they're getting peer pressure from their friends, they can, especially in middle school and high school and in college, that they can say to their friends, I'm not sure about that party or that lie we're planning to tell our parents. I need to think about it a little more and we'll get back to you.
1: You talk in the book about modeling that with texting with teenagers. I mean, my my oldest would definitely prefer to communicate with me in text than in person. And you talk about not necessarily responding to every text they send immediately, even if there's a little bit of frantic mom, where my cleats behind it, to, to not respond immediately. Is that right?
2: Yes. The texts I like parents to respond to immediately are joyous texts where... They are just exuberant about something that happened. And but with all texts, it's the same thing I was talking about a moment ago about inserting a pause in your response because we're all so busy and we're in such a rush, and we're trying to beat the planet before it's over, before it completely <laughs> melts. And so we're hurrying up to bring the future into the present and get everything done in the most grand, global sense of things. So what kids are doing, because they have this magical device to do it with, is they're outsourcing all of their immediate distress, disappointment, frustration, confusion, or ignorance to their parents for you to solve. Uh Uh-huh. And because parents feel their own mortality a little bit more than they did in the past because they're older when they have their kids, we want to stay very connected to them and be available to them. When kids go off to college, the worst separation anxiety is the parents. Yeah, One of the things that I... I'm always advising parents to do is to make their home a place of mirth. And the reason I use that word is that there is so much snark and glee over the failings of whoever is not in our camp politically, socially, and uh, sends their child to the same school. Their failures give adults energy because indignation is really invigorating and we're all really tired. So one of the ways I handle this myself is to look at The Onion every single day. Uh And to our listeners who are not familiar with The Onion, it's a website with satirical... Uh, Fake news headlines, but not fake news. It's the way comedy has become the highest level of social commentary and moral philosophy of our age.
1: It's kind of like like they'll say like, "Local mom is only going to say this one more time." The headlines (laughs) like that. (laughs) So
2: so (laughs) here's the one I was looking for: Mom's fears about daughter leaving for college. Channeled into fight about storage bins. <laughs> and another one is daily spin class, only thing keeping mom from driving car full of kids into the ocean. <laughs> More colleges offering dick around abroad programs. <laughs> Parents seize creative control of third grade art project. (laughs) And we need this. Yeah, we do. Because otherwise there's no oxygen. Right. And sort of good common sense.
1: You say in the book, oh, I feel like the overall sort of takeaway that I got out of this book is that we need to not embrace our kids too tightly. We need to take a few steps back and doing that will improve how we communicate with them or, or improve how our communication is perceived, perhaps. And, and why do you think that is? And it's really frightening to do that. So yeah.
2: what I say to audiences when I talk about over parenting, parenting Anonymous, I say, none of the parents who needed to come are here tonight. Uh. But your sponsor is in this room mm-hmm. and you need at least one sensible friend because good parenting will feel like neglect. Mm-hmm. And in no way am I endorsing neglect. But we are so tightly bound to these children. It's when I talk to the teenage girls, they're like little psychoanalysts. They're amazing. They are understand their mother's psychology and the deepest level of her mental health or lack of it so much better than they know themselves. And I'll say to them, this is really interesting, and I could talk with you about this the whole time, but we're here also to talk about you. And when I say the word you, they look at me as if to say, who is that That. They don't have a sense of self because the, it's the dark side of parental devotion. And there's a bright side, certainly. All the things that we share with our kids that our parents didn't share with us. I mean, our fathers, even at your age, Amy, I'm not sure your father knew at every single second what grade you were in. <laughs> Right. Like he would Uh, think about it. I don't know. Fifth. It wasn't at the top of his mind. Right. And now we have so much information and it's worry fodder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not more is not better. Yep. More is not better. It's TMI. Dr. Mogul, tell us where we can find the Overparenting Anonymous and more about you and, of course, your book. So
2: I have a website called wendymogul.com. It has OverParenting Anonymous. It has my favorite articles that I've written or interviews and my schedule of lectures because I'm just I'm an itinerant preacher. I just travel around the country talking to parents about this stuff.
1: The new book is called Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. It's just out in paperback, and it's available everywhere. Guys, if you could see my copy of this book, I mean, there is scribbling and highlighting, and this book is absolutely chock full of eye-opening insights and things I'm going to do differently on every single page. Dr. Mogul, thanks so much for talking to us.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Amy. It was a pleasure.
0: And now, your guide to mom yelling from the What Fresh Hell podcast.
1: The gritted teeth, I'm not yelling yell. We will talk about this when we get home and away from all these other people who are looking at us in
0: the grocery store. The yells your mom used to yell. You never thought you'd yell yells. Wait until your father gets home. Because I said so, that's why. The, I'm not yelling, just speaking very
1: loud for emphasis yell. These clothes are clean. Clean clothes do not belong in the laundry. Clothes that have been worn less than five minutes are clean. They're clean.
0: The, I'm just going to keep yelling names until I get to yours
1: yell. Janie, Susan, Lisa. Oh, God. You, youngest starter daughter, Stacy. That's right. You're in trouble. The company's here, so I can't yell. But you know this would
0: be a yell if it could be a yell yell.
1: Gosh, honey, I'm surprised you don't remember that I prefer that you don't put your shoes on the sofa. The I've
0: lost my train of
1: thought yell. I need everyone to get off their iPads. Dinner is in five minutes. And don't come down until you finish your homework. And is lacrosse practice tonight? Also, I I think I need everybody to do something.
0: The things I never thought I'd yell yell. Mom's underwear is not a hat.
1: Don't taunt that lizard. You have to wear shoes outside when it's snowing. Every time. Your penis should never be out during church.
0: The stop yelling yell.
1: Okay, everybody just stop yelling. Stop yelling. The
0: repeat a yell.
1: Get your shoes, your shoes, we're late, get your shoes, you need shoes, we are very late. Shoes, shoes, come on, we're late, get your shoes, 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 get your shoes, we are late.
0: The I'm not going to curse in front of the kids yell.
1: Fudgy the whale, shazam it all, Godzilla damn breaking Grr.
0: The okay, mom's lost it for good yell.
1: I can't take it anymore, I mean you all are on your own, mom is going to take a bath if anybody needs me. Is anybody listening to me? Hello?
0: Amy, I could hear the happiness in your voice (laughs) when you were talking to Dr. Mogul.
1: I mean, was that like full of takeaways? I thought it was pretty great.
0: Chock full, chock full of takeaways. I liked a lot of the stuff that she said.
1: I really, I really liked it. I, I thought it was interesting what she was saying about texting with your teenager, how you should immediately respond to the joyous ones, but the like... Where my soccer cleats, mom, you don't have to respond, that they're trying to sort of offload their anxiety onto you and you need to teach them to be adults by not letting them do that. I thought that was really sort of powerful.
0: And we did talk about it in the beginning. And I think it is, it is kind of about this balance between not over-parenting. You know, she says good parenting will feel like neglect. Um, and I was sort of like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. But also thinking a lot about how you talk to your kids, which maybe feels like indulgent and overparenting in and of itself. But I think what she's saying is more like adapting the way you talk to your kids and not suddenly every interaction with your kids. There's, you have to think about how you're doing it so you get it right so that they turn out perfect.
1: Right. It gets, you know, it gets more important, I feel like, or it feels more important as your kids get older and the likelihood that you're going to have a fraught conversation at any given moment sort of you know hockey sticks up in likelihood right that the but also I think like as a parent it's just out of having like, you know,
0: really young kids, like that feeling of all I do is shriek all day is just, it's soul crushing. Mm-hmm. It's so tiring. And then you get home and your husband seems really annoying too. Like it just, you start, I feel like when you speak all day in that kind of like, Stop it, like you're the, you become the shrill harpy of the home and it just affects everything about,
1: how you feel about yourself? It's so worth getting out of that mode. I've been working on this recently, and I have found it actually really transformative. It's just to to pause before answering, like if one of my kids said, "Like you didn't remind me that I did the you didn't do," and I and I totally did ten times. Instead of being like, "Yes, I did," I I pause. I pause when I receive you know some snark from somebody in my home. Instead of coming in on top of it, like, how dare you talk to me that way? I just pause for a few seconds before answering. I allow my anger to come down. I allow the impolite thing they said to hang there unanswered to echo in the air a little bit, if that makes sense. And then I respond calmly. It has changed the way my kids speak to me because I don't have to say, do you hear baby?" It's not about it's because then it's not about mom's mad again. Oh, I need to adopt this practice.
0: I really do. That's such good advice for me because right now I am because I am so committed to that thing of like not having rude talk in the house. I can't I can't stand it for myself. I just can't stand being spoken to rudely. But I tend to do the thing of like. I'm like, I have to fight it every single time. So every time my kid's like, yes, I'm like, who do you think you're speaking to in that hour? And we're getting into crazy time because I'm so determined to shut it down. And like, I think that thing of like pausing and I will help you when you can speak politely or do you want to rephrase that or just keeping my level down so that I'm not just a constant spinning top where like they're speaking rudely and I'm just constantly like, who do you think you're speaking to like yeah. that? It's the only thing I say that phrase 4,000 times a day right now in my house. It's, it's also about
1: like that rule. You have to hold your rule a little more lightly, which I'm trying to do also like I'm the parent. You must speak with me with like the, the, the way I think that a a mother should be treated and a mother should treat. I'm trying to hold that all a little more lightly And Hmm. tell me more, because I'm not sure uh, I agree. It's well, again, this is ages and stages. I kind of agree. You don't let your eight year old, you know, talk to you sassy if you don't want your 16 year old to like go around the bend with it. Right. Right. Uh, Right. Like, that's what I I feel like I'm like holding the dam right now, which is like, we're not going to have this in my house. But, you know, and and, well, two things. One, I think you have to model how you do want to be talked to. You got to you have to go first in a way that can sometimes be frustrating But also, as kids get older, and again, this is more specific to older kids, what Dr. Mogul said about they're preparing to separate from you. I've heard this from a couple of places recently, and it makes sense. Like, your kids need to separate from you. It's part of their job psychologically, and it's part of growing up. And they can't think you're cool while they're separating from you. They need to not think you're cool so they can separate from you. So some of the like, oh, mom, like, of course it's that they're doing that because they need to. That's part of growing up. And if you can hold that a little more lightly and not take every time it happens so personally, there will be less fighting in your house. It isn't disrespectful, but there's a line, there's a line that can be drawn. No, but that is such a good point. And it is the thing of like, for
0: me, yes, it's like, I don't like to work really hard in the house and they'd be treated like a jerk. And I would right, spoken right. too rudely, right. but that's right. That at a certain point, the developmental stage, and I do think too many people skip this developmental stage and it's a real problem, Right. which is like, th- your kids should hate you for a while. They should think you're morons for a while. But I think that's where you make the distinction of like, you don't have to fix how they see you because they, that they need that separation, but you can hold the line about like, this is how we're going to treat people in this house and we're going to respect each other. And, and it is a two way street and it makes me think of, I took my own, your advice, probably I shouldn't say my own advice. We were talking in the relationship episode just about like, how do you keep your husband the priority? And one of us was saying like, how about just starting by smiling at them every single time they walked into the room. (laughs) And I walked away from that episode and I was like, I have really let that go. And I kind of recommitted to the thing of like, Also, my husband's a great guy and I really, really love him. But like that helped. But I just was like, I'm going to lean back into that. And like every time he walks in, be like happy to see him and smile every time I look at him and like touch him when I walk by him. And it has had such a nice effect on our relationship. And I've been kind of stunned by it. We're like having a little like honeymoon romance right now. Like it's like, oh, all that was just how I was, talking to him and not being like another burden in my life to suppress my happiness like just smile and I think also I've been as a result trying to do that with the kids like I wake up in the morning I'm like how are you guys and often they're like I don't want to go to school and I'm like oh I know what a bummer but like while I have the energy in the morning I try to start things on that really positive like happy like I just walk into the kitchen I'm like hey guys how's it going and uh, as opposed to like who needs what like you were saying like strict in, right into like um
1: sergeant mode, you know? Right. That's a, that's a good point. I like the I like the idea of leaning into like okay, I'm I'm happy in the mornings. I'm kind of out of steam at 9 p.m. That's not when I'm gonna sit down with a with a mug of tea and be like, so what's going on? Like you have <laughs> to talk it through. Guys. Know when your good yeah, times I'm of like, day are no one speak to me at night. I wanna I wanna underline the takeaway that that Dr. Mogul has about it's in the book. It's she says instead of saying how is school? How is your day? Which we've gone over why you, that doesn't work. You try to you bring up a detail that shows you were listening. Like so, for me, it would be like so. Whatever happened with that DeAndre Lawrence trade? Do you think he's think he's going to go to the Suns? I mean, I'm, I'm completely <laughs> you're making that up. Adorable, you're adorable. Show that you were listening the last time they were talking. Or like, so did those? How are the baby turtles doing? I wonder if they miss their mommy. Whatever you can. Say something that shows you were listening the last time they talked about something instead of what happened today. Um, They might get somewhere.
0: Another thing she talked about, which I like a lot, and I think it's very applicable in my household, is listening and leaning in a little bit more on like the long, dopey things that I'm not interested in. Like Mm -hmm. I have had a tendency lately at the dinner table. My kids are 10, 8 and 7, and they are obsessed Obsessed with Calvin and Hobbes right now, the cartoon book, which is, by the way, an oldie lock seller. Back in my day, but in case you don't know it, oldie timey. I mean, just from our childhood. But cartoon about a little boy who has an imaginary tiger friend,
1: right? Who's like real. Fantastic. <laughs> He's real, real when him. nobody else is around. Just like right, like his stuffed tiger, and he have
0: adventures. But it's a real tiger. And my kids are so into it. Like they're watching tiger documentaries. They're like. They put, they, I got them a stuffed Hobbs and they put him in front of Tiger documentaries when they go to school, like they're way into it. <laughs> and lately at dinner, I've been sort of like, we're not talking about Calvin and Hobbs at the dinner table because I've gotten tired of it. But I think I'm resetting that a little bit. Like maybe it's okay if they sit there and just crack up about different strips of Calvin and Hobbs for a half an hour. Like... <laughs> rather than me being like no we're going to talk about your favorite part of the day. And I think it's a little bit about finding a balance, but we just were on a road trip and sometimes we put movies in the car. We have like a we don't have a DVD player in the car, but we have a one that slides in. You know, a temporary one. And so it was broken. And I really realized like wow, we talked for like an hour as a family just about different random silly stuff, but it's just finding more time to facilitate family conversations and letting them talk about what's interesting to them is OK.
1: Right. And talking about nothing and, ta- yeah. and talking about whatever happens when you look out the window. We, we, The more that our kids can do that and not fill every 10 seconds of boredom with a screen, the better they'll be. You know, they the the happier adults they'll be. So we need to sort of Facilitate that when we. Yeah, can. and I
0: think I've gotten stuck a little bit in this story of like you need to learn to talk about things that are interesting to everyone, and I, I think that's not a developmentally appropriate lesson right now. Maybe.
1: Maybe you know? not every minute of every day. Yeah, like home. Home can be a safe space where, or, or you get out your whiteboard and say tonight, <laughs> tonight at dinner, it's Calvin and Hobbes night. Bring your Amy, funniest Calvin and Hobbes you joke. You making fun of my whiteboard? No, I'm not at all. Oh, I'm. We're gonna have a problem. I'm not. I'm not making fun of it at all. You're but supporting like, it. Wednesday night, we'll talk about everybody's upcoming dentist appointments. No, it's it's they're going to drive the conversation a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you don't get
0: all of this stuff, as we always know, is kind of in the middle. But we want to find times to let the conversation just be like silly and wandering and whatever they feel like talking about. I mean, literally in the car, like my kids were like, that cloud looks like an elephant. And then we did like an half an hour of like, what did the different cloud shapes look like? And I was like, oh, my God, I I can remember doing this with my family before we had like DVDs and we just plugged in.
1: You know what you can do with older kids? It is a little screen based, but it's still sort of meandering. Like when we get when I get in the car with my kids, we stopped at a rest stop My son got a root beer. We were talking about like who, you know, who in the car liked and didn't like root beer. That's pretty binary usually. And then we were like, why does root beer taste like root beer? And we looked it up, you know, and and I'm reading to them from Wikipedia. It says, oh, it says it's from the bark of the sassafras trailer. That's weird. And then and then we found out that it was invented for coal miners. And we we did a deep dive on the history of root beer because it was sort of a weird rabbit hole to go down. Then that's you are using phone, but but it's you're talking about it as a group. My kids are the perfect age for that. Every day, they're like,
0: wait, you know, do chickens? Oh, well, I'm trying to think of like a funny example of something they've asked me recently. But like, they're constantly asking, like, does the temperature change on Pluto day to night? And I'm like, oh, let- let's look that up. You know, like they're constantly asking me funny and interesting questions. And if I'm on Twitter, I'm like, oh, I I don't know. Right. But if I can. And again, I'm not guys, I'm not getting off Twitter for the rest of my life and sitting waiting for questions that I could Google for my kids. Like that is not what I'm suggesting. I'm just offering it to everybody and to myself that like, can I lean in a little bit more? in the way that I smile a little bit more at my husband and suddenly our relationship is like romance, romance again, can I lean in a little more to my kids and be like, let's look that up. Hey, let's, what's the funniest episode of Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, everybody say nine, you know, that they think like the funniest strip. It's okay to lean in a little bit more on that stuff.
1: Can I give you a how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk like truth bomb that I think is a thing to take with us for today? I'm ready. They said... Rather than blaming your kids for all your parenting grief, you can improve communication with them by making a few changes to the way you speak to them and set the tone of a situation. Listening, sharing feelings and respecting your kids will make your job as a parent far easier.
0: That's the big takeaway, guys. It's yeah. not about being precious and tweet, tweet and like, oh, little ears and respect them. and da, da, da. it's just about like if you are a little bit of a better listener and a little bit of a better communicator, your life will be exponentially easier
1: mm-hmm. and your kids That's will be happier, it. nice if nicer they can go together. Imagine that solved it. we solved it. As we wrap, I want to say, again, thank you to Dr. Mogul. Her new book is Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. If you're listening to this on your phone, you can tap or swipe or scroll down and I'll have a link to the book right there as well as How to Talk So Kids Will Listen. And you can always look at our show notes that way, or you can go to podcast.com. And you can always find us on Facebook at Wet Fresh Hellcast. You can join our Facebook
0: group, find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast, and on Instagram
1: at what fresh guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.
3: The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because, let's face it,